Welcome to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. This week, the gang will talk about what it means for a church to forgive a repentant pastor and what the pastoral reinstatement process would look like if that pastor should be reinstated at all. At the end of the podcast, we'll tell you how to download a free MP3. Well, today on Mortification of Spin Bully Pulpit, we want to talk about a perennially relevant topic, but one that is perhaps of particularly pressing importance at this time, given the, the high-profile resignation of Mark Driscoll a few weeks ago for the Mars Hill Church and the kind of questions that pastoral resignations raise for the issue of pastoral restoration. What does restoration look like? What process should be involved in pastoral restoration? Can a pastor be restored to fellowship and yet not be restored to his ministry? These are important questions, and whether you're in a mega church or whether you're in a small local church, there are things that are likely to press in on you at some point in your Christian life. So let's open it up for discussion. Todd, you've been a pastor now at this church. You're out for what, six, seven weeks? Uh, <laughs> I mean, you're still there after, after a year I'm and a half. still there. Very, yeah. very impressed. But you've been, like you've been a pastor now for, for decades. Uh-huh. Uh, what's your, been your experience in, in this kind of thing? What are your thoughts on pastoral sin, pastoral restoration? The, um, the higher you go up the ladder of leadership, the fewer options you have. So as a pastor, as an elder and overseer in the church, um, you have fewer options, fewer options regarding your own behavior and fewer options for you after you fail. Um, and as you said, this isn't a question of whether or not a man after failing in a significant way, it's not a question of whether or not he can be restored or should be restored to the Christian fellowship. If there's repentance, he must be restored into the fellowship of Christ's church. The question is this issue of office bearing. And in 1 Timothy 3, Paul makes very clear what the qualifications are for elders, for overseers. Um, he writes um, in the first few verses of chapter 3 of, sec- of, of 1 Timothy, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. And then Paul also, uh, well, well, we see, we see qualifications in, um, in, in Titus as well, um, which, which are similar to this. Uh, he, he speaks there uh, among what, what, what Paul has already mentioned here. He speaks of uh, uh, being able to, to instruct in sound doctrine and, and, and rebuke those who, who contradict it. Uh, but, but we see there that, that one's reputation matters. Um, we see things like self-controlled and sober-minded, respectable, and certainly there's some subjective uh, reality to, to some of those things. But uh, to uh, 
to, we must not kill those qualifications with the death of a thousand qualifiers. Um, it's saying something about the public character of a man. Um, and that once that's damaged uh, beyond repair, um, he's disqualified from being an office bearer in the church, period. And I know that that does not sit well with American sentimentality um, or our ideas of, quote, unconditional love. Um, but it's very important that the office bearer uh, maintain a certain uh, uh, respectability and uh, uh, reputation of godliness about him. Wouldn't you say that it also um, points out how to love? Hmm. I mean, if somewhere, someone were to be uh, disqualified for the yeah. eldership, you know, in our society now we, we hear things like, well, they, you know, they've asked for forgiveness right. and now we need to accept them back in and forgive them. But I think we're misunderstanding yeah. how to love yeah. even that person who has, you know, fallen into sin. Right. Um, is it loving to put them right back in their right. office? Yeah, see, and, and I think you raise a really good question there. It's not loving to the man who's fallen, and it's not loving to the church over which he right. must exercise oversight. Probably not um, to his family Not either. to his family either. You know, w- w- in, in the situation that, Carl, you mentioned about Mark Driscoll's resignation, one of the things he made clear in his resignation letter um, was that uh, the the board of elders there at Mars Hill had pronounced him not disqualified because he was not guilty of a crime or immorality or heresy those three things because he was not guilty of illegal behavior heresy or or immorality therefore he's still qualified what's your thoughts on that well I would say that would explain why he's not in prison at the moment, right. obviously. Yeah. And I think it would mean that he'd be eligible for church membership. Right. Uh, you know, typically we don't allow people who are teaching heresy or behaving immorally or breaking the law to be church members. It says nothing about a man's qualification for office. Right. Absolutely nothing whatsoever. And I think when that can be put forward as a serious argument as to why, you know, this is sufficient to show that I'm not disqualified from office, I think it shows the trivialization of the office. Right. And I also think it, it reflects the childishness of this particular church context. Mm. You know, I'm basically a good boy, therefore I qualify for the highest job. That's a, that's a very childish, yeah. I don't mean childlike, I mean childish right. approach mm. right. to things. So that would seem to me to be very problematic. And frankly, to put that out there as a reason why you're still qualified for office is embarrassing. Yeah. I, th- I think it's significantly embarrassing. Paul has not set out here qualifications that are impossible to reach. If, right. if, if right. it was impossible, who of us would, would hold office? Mm-hmm. What Paul has laid out here is he's, he's essentially said that the man qualified for office must be of exceptionally good reputation. Uh, just because you're not a heretic, just because you're not immoral, just because you haven't broken the law doesn't mean you're of exceptionally good it's reputation. It's not impossible qualifications, not but impossible they're exceptional. Qualifications, they but are they are exceptional. Absolutely. So I would say you know, I'm delighted when a pastor tells me he isn't breaking the law. You know, full <laughs> marks for not breaking the law, right. brother pastor, yeah. doesn't qualify to be a pastor. Right, though. right. And so to those who are saying, hey, he said he's sorry, let's forgive and put him back in that role, one of the things I see in that as that sentiment is expressed is almost a sort of self-indulgence that Mm -hmm. says, see how gracious I am, see how loving I am. And I would say to that person, 
I actually think you might be dangerous to the church because you're ready to put a man back in a position of oversight who has proven himself to not be trustworthy in that level. But there is, I think, a lot of self-congratulatory stuff going on as I read comments on blogs and that sort of thing um, against the haters of this pastor or that pastor. Mm-hmm. I, I think it represents a total misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, forgiveness does not look necessarily like restoration to office. Right. When I, you know, when my children were small and they misbehaved, and I told them off and they said sorry and asked for forgiveness, I, I forgave them, but I didn't necessarily allow them then to behave in any way they want. If I had gone away and my children been left in the the hands of a babysitter and the babysitter had abused my children, the babysitter asked me to forgive them for that. As a Christian, I'm obliged to forgive right. them. I would be an idiot. Mm-hmm. If I ever allow them to ba- right. babysit my kids again, forgiveness does not look like allowing them to babysit my children. So again, there is this sentimental, you know, America is the, the land of second, third, fourth, fifth, mm-hmm. sixth, seventh, eighth chances. Right. Forgiveness doesn't look like nothing's changed. Right. We're going to pretend that nothing's happened. Uh, forgiveness looks like being welcomed back into the fellowship of the saints, right. participating in the Lord's Supper, sitting under the preaching of the word. It doesn't look like necessarily like getting your old job back mm-hmm. and pastoral ministry and being a, uh, an overseer being an elder uh, that you don't no one has the right to those offices uh, those are uh, responsibilities they're privileges given uh, to those who have gone through what I hope a church has set up or a denomination denomination is set up as a pretty stringent process um, to try to ensure that qualified men serve in those positions Um but it's certainly not a right mm. uh, to serve in in those positions, and that's and that's I think hard for Americans as well. Um, when uh, when well, we're used to exerting our rights, through with discipline as mm-hmm. well. I mean, it's one thing to point out things that a pastor has done wrong and have them ask for forgiveness, right. but it's a lot more grit and hard work to go through the process right. of um, the Rep- discipline exactly. involved in quote-unquote restoration, mm-hmm. not to the office per se, but just as a member in the church mm-hmm. and dealing with these broken relationships and these accusations and um, you know, use a word everybody likes, healing. Exactly. When a pastor misbehaves, um, a pastor, because of his position and because of, of how he's held in esteem oftentimes, uh, can do a lot of damage to people mm-hmm. that requires lots of repair. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he does fail. And mm-hmm. so you think about, for instance, uh, a, a, a pastor who has disqualified himself because of adultery to, quote, restore that man into an office as pastor. I, I can only imagine what it would feel like to the men and women sitting in that congregation to have a man who's fallen in that area. I, I, I would see that as, as cruelty to the congregation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would say as well, this points us back to the importance of having good elders. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it doesn't matter where you're pastoring, whether you're pastoring a small church or a big church or a mega church. I can tell you when you stand up in front of a group of people and you speak and they sit and listen, that's a buzz. Yes. And there is part of that that appeals to the baser, more sinful temptations of, of human beings. Um, and the temptation to want to get that back as soon as possible right. when you fall and must be overwhelming. 
jack that up uh, to the to the nth degree. I've only had one experience of being in front of a huge crowd, and that was when I sat on the panel at T4G a few mm-hmm. years ago talking about celebrity pastors. And I get up there, and I'm nervous, and I make a joke, and 5,000 people laugh in a sports stadium. And there a was joke about 9,000 people there. 9,000 people. There were a lot of people. I couldn't see them because the lights just yes. gave me this black kind of – I could hear the roar of yeah. laughter. And I sat there thinking, wow, I could get used to this. Yes. Now, I was on a panel with a bunch of guys, many of whom do that every week. Right. And I'm sitting there thinking, I came off that platform thinking, I like that, I like that too much. I don't <laughs> yeah. want to do that again because that will pull me down and corrupt me. Yeah. I look at a guy like Driscoll who's earn, you know, he's earning hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. He's got thousands of, of adoring fans. The guy behaves like a rock star. Mm-hmm. He's not going away. No. It's going to take real self-discipline for a guy like that to submit himself to appropriate ecclesiastical discipline. He's going to be looking to short-circuit this process uh, uh, as soon as he can. Mm -hmm. I think that's where elders are so important, where elders will step in and say, no, you're out, buddy. you got to do five, ten years as an ordinary member of the church. you got to empty the trash cans. you got to be a car park attendant. you got to show that you can serve the Lord in a humble capacity mm-hmm. before we will contemplate allowing you back into any position yeah, of eldership. Indeed. Yeah, well, this is an important discussion, and I, I, I think it's also a, a reminder that a pastor should never be empowered to be a CEO. I'm privileged to serve alongside brothers on a session who they are not lesser elders than me. They are my co-elders in this church. I just happen to have a little bit of a different job. Um, But I answer to them. I answer to them joyfully. They help protect me precisely from some of the things, Carl, that you outlined. They're there to help remind me that I'm just a guy uh, who needs brothers lest I fall. And uh, the church will do well by their pastors, to, along with loving them as an expression of that love, to surround them with good, uh, grounding accountability, uh, lest they fall. Because it is a privilege, and uh, we need to be careful of that and good stewards of it. So churches, love your church well, love your pastor well, with good biblical accountability and the expectations that they fulfill the qualifications that Paul outlines. Thank you for joining us today, and until next time, we'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, Bully Pulpit, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. The Alliance is a coalition of pastors, scholars, and churchmen who hold the historical creeds and confessions of the Reformed faith and who proclaim biblical doctrine in order to foster a Reformed awakening in today's church. Visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, to download a free MP3. On the next Mortification of Spin, the crew talks about pastoral ministry, and the guys consider criteria for new pastors. The pressing issue for me is just what level of zipline skills is it necessary for a pastor to have these days? What are you looking for in a pastor? Great teeth, blonde hair, you know? And Amy rethinks her relationship with Carl and Todd. Is it hard just to make regular friends? Join us next week to find out how a pastor should act toward his congregation and how the congregation should respond to the pastor and elder's leadership role. 
Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. Somebody else has joined Twitter recently. Yes. Tom, well, I'm I, 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 I just, I, you know, I. You know, Amy has far more followers than you. <laughs> there, you know. I just thought there was way too little of me out there. So <laughs> that, that's mm-hmm. correct. <laughs> so I, I needed to get out there some more. You know. Well. I just spend all I'm my time for you. enemies. That's why I can't do it. They're all just. <laughs>